Well, as Omicron spreads around the country, what is the impact on children? School children from year four and up must now wear masks in the classroom. But cases of COVID-19 among children and teachers are forcing schools to roster entire year groups home or to offer online learning to those who want it. As of earlier this week, at least 447 schools and early learning centres are managing cases up from 163 a week ago. So how can we minimise risk and maximise resilience among our children? Neuroplasticity educator and parenting expert Nathan Wallace is with us. Kia ora, Nathan. Great to have you with us. Kia ora, Catherine. How are you? Good, thanks. Uh, everybody's pretty much over this thing, and the kids in particular, we've talked yeah. previously about how a year in their young lives is much, much it's longer huge. than a year in the rest of us, right? What do mm, you see as yep. uh, some of the things that will be affecting them, particularly these next few weeks? What do we need to think about? Well, I think it is, you hit the nail on the head there, but things are different for children. They're developmentally at a different stage. So I think, you know, um, the issue of wearing masks, for instance, you know, we all rely on non-verbal communication a lot, you know, more than we probably readily recognise. But the younger you are, the more so that is. So I think if you're a parent or you're a teacher, anyone working with children, at the core of what you're doing is relationship. And at the core of relationships, communication. So having face masks on, that in itself can have a big impact on kids, their ability to understand what's going on and to know the context that, that they're in. Um, I mean, that's just one aspect of it. But you're asking about resilience, Catherine, and what's going to make for resilient kids? Yes, just just what can we do with some of the obvious yeah. practical disruption, but also, again, yeah. just the anxiety surrounding all this. What are your thoughts of, yeah, across yeah. the board? It's fertile ground for anxiety, isn't it? I think parents can do a lot there and uh, teachers by the way they frame the whole thing. You know, if we catastrophize it, if we're predicting a future that's sort of sounding negative, then we're building into that anxiety. I mean, you can sort of choose how you respond. You can respond in an anxious way, or you can respond with something like, um, you know, um, Asian countries have been wearing masks and, and, you know, doing this for a long time. So, and normalize the approach. So it's all about framing. You want to frame it in such a way that the care, that we're focused on the resilient features, how the community has come together, how we've all been able to, you know, um, come together and fight this, and look at the positive aspects of things. You know that pe- pe- parents are working from home a whole lot more now, so kids are often getting more time with their parents. I think focusing on those positive things and focusing on the resilience of people and how people have really risen to the occasion that frames it in a way for your child that sort of normalises it, but um, leads them to think that they're resilient rather than in an unpredictable environment where they're kind of helpless. That is the word, the unpredictability. We know how much the human brain dislikes that. And so now that we are are in a stage, I think a a lot of the stress on a lot of people, and particularly perhaps on young people, has been the sense of waiting, waiting, waiting all the time. Yeah. Um, And Mm -hmm. also we're imbibing, of course, as as I said earlier, we were having a wonderful holiday season in January, but you were still imbibing what was Mm. happening in Australia, you know. Um, And the brain's not so good at differentiating between incoming that's not happening to you and incoming that is happening to you so now that yeah, we're in the stage right. where it's happening again do we need to normalize the fact that someone in our household household's going to get sick or that someone in our class is going to get sick how do we talk about it and just make it feel like oh well that's what's happening right now and here's what we do pretty much you said it right there Catherine with um that attitude of this is what we do It's taking that proactive stance rather than feeling like you're helpless. That really helps kids to feel like they're on top of the situation and, you know, and respond in a resilient way rather than an anxious way. So um, always ending with an action that you can do. 
you know. Um, I mean, I always say, number one, calm them down. And number two, you know, if they're upset about something, calm them down in whichever way it calms them down. That might be a hug or a cup of Milo or something. But get them calm and um, then acknowledge their emotions. Whatever they're feeling, you need to say those out loud and acknowledge them. If they're anxious, then you say, um, yeah, I can understand being anxious. I think a lot of people are anxious at this time. But then you end with a statement that's proactive about what you can do and action that you can take. You know, um, oh, you know, we've we've had sort of these situations, um, not the exact same situation, but we've had situations before and we've managed to rise to the occasion every other time. Society seems to be coming together and managing it. Um, so as long as we keep washing our hands and putting our masks on, I'm sure, you know, this will pass just like other things do. We often talk about young children when they're starting school having a plan, you know, and it might even, well, you yeah. often recommend to take them to where the school is before you're there and walk them around and let them see That's what's right. happening yep. and all this kind of thing. Is yes. this exactly what we need to do here? If someone that we yeah. um, in our family, in our household or in our classroom gets sick, here's how this is going to happen and we've got a plan. That's brilliant, Catherine, yeah. I mean, I was thinking in terms of predictability, you can enhance all the other predictable aspects of their life. You know, having dinner together at the table, having fish and chips on a Friday night, the things that are not likely to change. Um, and enhance those predictable aspects, and that will help as well. But also, unlike you're saying, it will help a whole lot if they know what's going to happen when inevitably someone they know um, does get um, COVID. So, yeah, that'll help a whole lot, saying, well, this will, this will happen, they'll be in this place, they're likely to be sick for this length of time. Um, yeah, that'll help children a whole lot. It'll help everyone a whole lot, but especially children. It will. And the other thing, I think you touched on it earlier, the lockdown situation where people were at home more often, it's it's sort of flipping it. I don't want to talk about making it an adventure, but, but yeah, it is. No. You know, if, if we're going to be at home for a period, if a child's going to be at home for a period, let's not try and cram in all the schooling we can online. Let's talk about how much no. Netflix we're going to watch or how many games we're going to, how many video games yep, we're going to play. Yep. And there are all these things that we always want to do that we never have time for. So it is about dragging those up from your memory and going, well, actually, now we do have time. You know, um, you wanted to have that book read to them or they wanted to read that book. Um, I think we've all got a list of projects that we can do um, if we are positive about it and think, how can I use the time most productively? The anxiety side of things, again, it's kind of compounded. If we think about some of the older kids now who are really tapped into what's going on in the world, gosh, when you just look at this last week, you know, there's protests going on somewhere, they're seeing these images, and of course they're seeing them all yep. day, not just once a day like we used to with TV news, but they're seeing right. them all day. Um, they're now, you know, with what's happening in Ukraine as well. Yeah, how, very inundated. We, we often talk about how young people need to discern what they're seeing online. <clears throat> Do we also need to help them discern <clears throat> that what they're seeing on a constant loop yeah. needs to be managed as well? That that the constant loop of constantly updating and checking their devices is not actually yes. the reality of their lives because no. what it's doing at the moment is just reinforcing all these constant threats. Yep. And just reinforcing that idea of anxiety. So I think having a conversation with the kids about how often they update and maybe the parents not necessarily watching the news every night to get the update in front of the kids. Because like you say, they're on devices and they get all the updates anyway. So you don't really need to watch the news to know what's going on. So is that ritual really necessary? You know, is that adding or is that helping? I think um, with, <clears throat> as parents, we have to mitigate what's going on in society with the kids too. You know, like I'm having lots of conversations with the children of my whanau around you know, the division between vaccinated and non-vaccinated and how that's pretty it's pretty artificial, really, that I would have more in common with people that aren't vaccinated than I would 
you know, um, have, you know, disagreements with. It's, it's to try and it's one undo of the this idea that there's two societies. Yes. We'll speak more to that yeah. because, again, this is some of the illusion that can come through the constant updatings and scrolling on that device. Yeah. Exactly. Is the perspective gets lost because it's all your brain is seeing coming in. So how do yeah. you talk to them about exactly yeah, that and this, this kind of sense that there's a mass division? Yeah, you just have to introduce that. I mean, no offence to the media, but it will tend to simplify things down. And the brain itself will do that. It'll put us into just two separate categories. And so for teenagers especially, it's easy to start thinking of, you know, that segregation of those two different groups and thinking in that way. So I think with children, you've got to show them that it's much more complex than that. And there's multiple perspectives. And there's many people who are in the middle and not very clearly in one group or the other. And it's not really the clear division that they see. I think that's just a conversation, not being scared to talk to the kids about that and to show them that it's it's more complex and people are actually much more integrated than, than that, that we're not really divided into two groups. It's just a, a system that is dividing us into two groups that might be necessary for now, but it's not a real system. You know, it's not a real thing that the people are really into different groups. Like I say, I think it's just having the conversation. There's a question here come in slightly related. Can you ask Nathan on how mm-hmm. to, advi- uh, to advise on how to positively counter a seven and a nine-year-old Oh, sorry, the sentence is repeating. How to on how to goodness how to advise a seven and a nine year old on how to counter anti vax information from best friends at school? I got there. Thank you. Oh, okay, right. So the kids are getting all this anti vax information like from school when it's yeah those alternative fact things and how to counteract that. Um, I don't know any other way really except for talking to the kids about um, checking the source of things. And that, you know, that letting them understand that you can put anything on the internet and people, and that when it's considered real research, it's done what we call, you know, double blind. That people that are independent um, have checked those results and multiple people have done that. So give them an understanding that just not everything you hear is going to be true. But you also at the same time want them to have respect for other people's views. So it's not so much about feeding them with information to counteract the anti-vax. It's just, you know, sort of giving a response that says, well, that's not how I see it, and I would want to check the sources of that information to see if those sources were really reliable. Um, but I suppose everyone's entitled to their opinion. So they've got a phrase they can come back with, but then leave it alone. It's a little bit like adults as well. There is no point in yeah. going into a tip no, for no You want to reassure no. your child and then give them something they can say in response that hopefully just ends the situation. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. This disruption also for older students of two years now, and goodness, some of them just going back to uni and, you know, what's happening is happening yeah, in Berlin, um, or mm-hmm. just going back to school again or early learning centres. Again, there's nothing we can do about it. Is it, is it often a case of checking our own responses and, and the pressures that we're feeling so that we are not passing those on? I guess our job Absolutely. is just to calm the farm, no matter how we feel ourselves. <laughs> That's exactly right, Catherine. It's called social referencing, that the kids will basically get their cues from you as to how how panicked they need to be. So if we implement those things we've talked about, about, um, you know, always ending in a proactive statement, not necessarily trying to limit social media, so not necessarily having the news updating all the time, you know, focusing on people's resilience and the stuff that we have in common and how it's bringing people together. Um, yeah, I think that's all that we can do. Uh, to me, it all comes back to framing. It's how we frame it. You know, we need to be conscious of how we're framing it and that our actions are 
um, consistent with that. If we're framing it positively, then our actions are positive about it. Because I do hear a lot of people, you know, talking doom and gloom, especially about the future, about how it's going to be and what it's going to look like. And I think if children are surrounded by hearing that, that adds to that anxiety and that sense of helplessness. So just, I think, you know, be wary of being optimistic. We did have it so easy pre-social media, didn't we? The, the brain just got a break and the brain went outside yeah. and played. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that which just, probably rem- reminds us that we should be giving our kids two hours a day device-free time. The same you know, opportunity. Yeah, and you yeah. Know, time I mean, outdoors. That, that takes them outside, of the, outside yeah. of the risk group for anxiety and depression. So, yeah, that's, I, think, I mean, that's always a good thing to do, two hours device-free time, because it's really healthy for the brain. It gives them that break that you were talking about. But now in these times, I think that's you know, really essential. And to do things that you love and that you enjoy. I mean, life has always been yes. about, I call it the happy bank, putting things in the happy bank. And then when things get yep. hard, you've got memories you can draw on to remind you of better times that were and that will be yep. again. But you've got to put stuff in there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think uh, yeah, music is a huge part of that too. Music leads to dance and interaction. And, um, you know, we've always got music. Exactly. Well, just a nice observation mm-hmm. here. It does go back to lockdown. During the first lockdown in 2020, our boys, 10 and 12, dug a bunker in the garden, fully lined with lid <clears> on top. And then there was the upcycled CD rack out of wood offcuts. The nightly badminton matches in the backyard were all pretty good with both hands now, and now a little caravan to renovate. We have found having family projects away from devices during these crazy times the best way to keep positive and strengthen family bonds. Genius in that is just what we're talking about. It's physical. It's using your physical body, not your thumbs. Um, Mm -hmm. And And it's working together. Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm. I I remember getting a house truck for the kids around that age. And, yeah, working on that as a family project, there was lots of bonding time. So I think that's a brilliant suggestion. Listener. Good stuff. Nathan Wallace is a neuroplasticity educator and a parenting expert.